0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, the text for this morning, I think, gives us a little perspective on uh, uh, how Jesus understood it and understood it for us as well as last week. So we're going to combine a little bit what we'll refer to last week's um, as we move through here. In the passage we're about to read, there's a religious group of people who have a perspective on the Sabbath that controls them, and they use to control other people. And Jesus and this group face off. Um, And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me if you can? You don't have to if you can't. But if you could stand with me in honor of Matthew chapter 12. and You want to come here, Taylor? We're going to read the 14 verses here. Mm -hmm. Thanks.
1: At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him.
0: Thanks, Taylor. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We don't want to be like Pharisees, abusing it and others. We want to learn from Jesus and not reject him. We want to receive from you in your spirit. We want to grow in our understanding. Help us now. Uh, We are weak and needy and uh, in need of rest in you. Meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we have this theme for Matthew, follow the promised king into the kingdom. We think that overall that that's the message of Matthew, follow the promised king into the kingdom in this passage. We see this in chapter 11, if you remember kind of where we've been, we're working verse by verse, chapter by chapter. In chapter 11, Jesus is inviting people, hey, come and follow me, follow me. And the cost of discipleship is high. But it ends with an easy yoke, an easy burden, an easy invitation. And some accept this invitation and others reject it. In fact, the Pharisees reject it. And that's what we'll see here. And the chapter begins with two settings. You have two different places. What are they? There's a field and a synagogue. There is one controversy. What's the controversy? What's the issue? I've kind of already mentioned it. It's what does it mean to follow the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? What does the Sabbath law mean? How do we interpret this? The, the Bible describes Sabbath. I was talking to my wife this week about, you know, what is this? What is Sabbath? And it just, for them, it described a period of time from Friday evening to Saturday evening. They saw a day different than we think of, you know, 12 to 12 or morning to, you know, to the next morning, they saw it from evening to the next evening it was one day. So that's their Sabbath. We read about it first in Exodus chapter 16. There's a whole chapter that talks about it. But in chapter 20, we get the first of the Ten Commandments. You remember Moses went up on a mountainside, and God gave him rules for us to live by. And he gave him the Ten Commandments. And the fourth one is on the Sabbath, and this is what it says in, in chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, here's the reason why, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So they saw this. God did it before the fall. This is what he did. We are to be like him and do what he does. In the year 100 BC, there's a a book that's not in our Bibles, but in the Jewish literature that gave uh, a death sentence for those who would not obey this. So there's some who believe that if you don't follow the Sabbath law, you are to die. Um, 300 years later, so in 280, 200 Jewish literature created 39 categories for you to understand, for us to try to figure out what's permitted, and what's not permitted, and they prohibited a lot of things. A lot of things weren't permitted. So here's a few of the categories. Well, someone, someone asked me, is this just for men to kind of oppress women? No, this is like... Across the board, men, women, children, you know, foreigners in their midst. Here, here are 39 different things. You can't plow, sow, reap, gather. It's so all the you know, agrarian society, you can't do that on that seventh day. There's no sorting, cooking, combing, dyeing, tying, untying. No measuring, writing, erasing, building, demol- demolishing, Kindling, like starting a fire, or extinguishing, or transporting. And, and there's 39, so there's more. Um, some people believe these rules exist today in, in these 39 different categories, and then they've interpreted what that means. And I was reading one of the interpretations is this. We have some little children here. You can't put your baby in a stroller or go outside your house and push it across the street. They say that's, a, that's like against the rules. I was reading a, one website that takes... You know, this again, really rigidly, and this is their rule. They said, because driving, biking, blading, skateboarding, or other device-driven means of transportation, there's that word transporting, are prohibited on Shabbat, we walk rather than commute to synagogue. However, even on walking on Shabbat has its limits. What are they? Jewish law sets a maximum walking range from one city to 0.596 miles. However, this measurement is from the city limits. Now they're going to go on and define what the city limits are. They're not defined by a map you carry in your glove compartment. Unless there is more than 70 and two-thirds cubits between one house and the next, that's like a point, a half mile, all contiguous housing is considered to be part of the same city. Therefore, at times it would be permitted to walk even from one city to the next as long as the whole way is populated. This can be complex, and a rabbi should be consulted before planning a long trek to Shabbat. You see how much, um, how how much how much of a theological gymnastics they have to they have to do to try to fulfill their rigid understanding of Sabbath. And so you, you hear about you may hear they travel this, uh, a Sabbath day journey in the Bible. Sometimes it says they travel the Sabbath day. Well, that's a half mile, and so they have these very constrained views of this law in the Ten Commandments, and it was wrong. Sabbath, what it's about? I was thinking about this. Sabbath is about maybe three things. It's about worship, it's about trust, and it's about rest. It's about worship, trust, and rest, and that rest is spiritual, and there's a physical element to it. At the same time, Jesus You know, he says in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 17, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. So there's a sense that he fulfills Sabbath law. He fulfills Sabbath law. So does that mean we don't have to do it? We don't have to practice some kind of rest? Is that what he's getting at there? How does he fulfill the, the law? Well, if you remember in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, where he says this, particular verse he's teaching i didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it he's not saying that, that everyone can murder each other and we can do all these bad things steal from another and lie and cheat you know we, he's not abolishing a system of law and order but he fulfills it well, how does he fulfill it there's a sense that we can't meet the demands of the law we can't do it we can't fulfill it we can't do it perfectly and what he does is he, he does it. He lives it perfectly and then substitutes his life for ours. And so that is the gospel. That is the good news of the kingdom. That he's spreading that he is the king. The king is here. Follow him into his kingdom. And he is going to make a way for us through dying on the cross. But how does he fulfill the Sabbath law? Is it just because we can't do it and he fulfills it? I think there's something more here. I think there's a little bit something more perhaps a clue is from a parallel account. So you can read, you know, what Matthew says. You can read some of the similar accounts in Mark and Luke. In Mark chapter 7, it says this, the Sabbath was made for man, for us, not man, for the Sabbath. What is he getting at? The Pharisees make this rule that God has given into something it's not to be. They make this rule into a God. And it's it's what they use to make themselves feel good about themselves. It's what they use to control other people, and it is what is destroying them. They're legalists, rule followers. Now, I don't think, I know I would looked online and I found these people interpreting these 39 rules to try to figure out how to follow the law. I don't think, in general, the people I know struggle with that kind of legalism. Although we do have people in our community that have very rigid and narrow perspectives on things, on, on Sabbath law, for example. And, and over time, you see some of those kind of change kind of with the culture. And I do think there's good value and to have these rhythms of rest. We have it in a day and having it in a week, having it in the course of a, a year. There's good times to, to worship, right? We should worship all the time, but there's a good times to, to have focused time, time to worship and time to trust the Lord, to express our trust in the Lord, and time to rest our bodies and our our souls. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I think there's a way where we might fall prey to what the Pharisees fall prey to, where we create a system of rules where we can checklist our Christianity and say, okay, I did good today, or I did bad today. I, I'm, I'm doing well with God based on this checklist that I've created or someone's created for me and miss out on what Jesus is inviting us into. He invites us into a relationship. And so we can fall on one side of legalism, but just maybe a little differently. On the other side, some people just chuck it all together and don't really care about God and live for a rest that is pretty empty. It's about themselves, it's self-sufficient, or it's just about pleasures and enjoyment, but godless. Jesus is saying something different here. The, the passage has, if we're going to look at a structure, and something is structure why it's valuable is structure helps us understand what is he getting at, is there's two sections, verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 10. 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, Jesus' disciples are going along the countryside. There's a farm, and, and according to Jewish law, the farmers aren't to, to, to um, harvest all the edges of their field. Because poor people then would have food to eat. It's kind of a, a way to care for the poor and underprivileged. And these hungry disciples are along there. They grab a piece of grain and they they grind it up in their hands. They, they snack on some grain and they're, they're feeding themselves. And And the Pharisees see this and confront Jesus because he's their teacher. He should be in control. And then verses 9 through 14, the Pharisees try to trick Jesus into discussing... What's his perspective of healing on a Sabbath? And they fail. Um, They do get a discussion, but he doesn't say what they necessarily want him to say. The main lesson is that Jesus is greater, friends. He's greater than Sabbath. In fact, he's more than that. He is greater than David. He is greater than the temple in Jerusalem. And he's greater than this law. The point is, I think the point here is that... Jesus, we want to make Jesus the Lord of our rest and not rest our Lord. Our focus, if our focus in life is Jesus, we're doing well. We we want our focus to be Jesus. He is our rest and not rest our Lord. Uh, Let me show you why I say that. Look at verse 1. So we're just going to work through this. If you have your Bibles, there's some Bibles uh, sitting on the chairs. We'll just work through verse by verse here and see how this plays out. Uh, verse one: At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. So, you, in all good stories, you have a setting, the harvest fields. You have a, a time. You have the it's Sabbath, so it's this Friday to Saturday. It's either Friday evening or it's Saturday, and it's uh, char- you have characters. There's the hungry disciples. You have Jesus, the Lord. And in verse two, we get another group of people. Those Those uh, shady Pharisees. Verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. Respond. The Pharisees are not tattletaling. They are attacking. They're attacking Jesus. Look at your followers. Look at how they're behaving. How does he respond? How does he react to that? Look at verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, or, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath on our guiltless? Now, notice what Jesus isn't doing here. He's not hearing this response from these Pharisees and then going over to them and saying, Stop it. You're in trouble. You're not doing what the Pharisees want you to be doing. No, he, he turns to these Pharisees and gives them two different examples of how their argument's breaking down. What are they? The first one. He compares himself to a story we find in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, I think it's 20, 21, and around there, David, he's, a, he's like a soldier in the army, and he is going to start running away from his boss the king of Israel, Saul. Saul is seeking to kill him. He's throwing like spears at him and he gets word, you are dead meat. So he's on the run all of a sudden and has no food. He goes to the temple and the temple, they house the sword of Goliath. And so they didn't have like guns back then. They didn't have a lot of weapons, but there was a sword. And if anyone should have rightful ownership of it, should be David who slit, slew David, uh, Goliath's sword with, his, you know, with, the, with that sword, um, which was Goliath's sword. And he also had food. And he had this thing called the bread of the presence. And the priests were allowed to eat it. What they did is on Sabbath day, they would change out that bread with new bread. And, it, and so potentially this is Sabbath day. That's the time of changing it out. The priest makes a, makes a call. He sees David there, his hungry men. And he makes a call, it's okay for you to eat this bread. He gives permission. And Jesus is making the case, if it's okay for David, there's no problem here of David eating this food with with his men when they're hungry, shouldn't Jesus' followers be able to eat as well? The second example was if the priests at the temple work on Sabbath, shouldn't Jesus' servants be able to work as well? If one is not guilty, why should the other be? Now, what would the Pharisees be thinking when they hear this? Do you think Dave, he's comparing himself to David? Who is he? This guy walks off the street, comes in off the street, and they have this—I mean—epic view of Sabbath. Sabbath is like the ulti- one of the ultimate commands that God has given that, that distinguishes Jewish people from others. They don't work on Friday to Saturday, or you know, would be our Sunday. They don't do that. And it makes them very distinct in the cultures around them. And here he is thwarting this rule. And now he's comparing himself to David. And in his second example, these guys are in the temple doing God's work. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who who are your men? What are they doing? Let's see here. (laughs) Where was I? Who does Jesus think he is? Look at verse 6. Jesus tells us. Jesus responded to their silent questions with something pretty shocking. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater is here. Something greater is here. The kingdom and the king. Who is greater? He is greater. In John chapter 2, he tells uh, some people, hey, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, what? It took 70 years to build this temple. It took so many years. All these people, and you're going to destroy it and raise it? And John says he's talking about himself. Jesus has a perspective about himself that people are blind to. We talked last week about there's a concealing. People don't see the reality that's right in front of their face. And he is, he is saying something is greater than here. Something is greater here. And that's audacious. Why is it so, such a big deal? The temple is such a big deal. Why, do, why, why would they think that? Well, the temple, you might recall, the temple mount is where Abraham, before Jerusalem was a city, he went up on with his son Isaac. And Isaac's like, what are we doing? He's like, we're going to sacrifice. We're going to... Oh, okay. Where's the lamb? Oh, God will provide. You remember that story? And what does God do? He's laying Isaac on the altar. He's building like this altar for him and he's going to slay his son because God said, Will you sacrifice the one and son that you know, I promised you for decades? And God stops him. Here's a ram. And a ram is, is substituted on his behalf. This is the place. Where, where David, years later, when they, when, he, uh, when they take this city, he brings in the tabernacle. This is the place where his son Solomon builds this huge temple, Solomon's Temple. It was amazing. People came from around, all around to go see it, where they housed the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, and where the glory of the Lord filled, and they, they would only go in like one time a year. God's presence dwelt there in a tangible way. And Jesus saying, something greater is here. Jesus is greater. We see the contrast of how Jesus views what's happening and how they're viewing what's, what's happening in verse 7. Look at verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice... This is a quote from Hosea. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Who are the guiltless? It's his hungry disciples. They're not guilty. What does he mean? Why does he quote Hosea? The priests are making a bad call. They're saying they need to sacrifice. They need to conform. They need to obey this rigid rule about not eating. They're laying on one of many yokes, burdens on these disciples, on others. They can't eat. They aren't expressing God's mercy to the hungry. This is just an example of the legalistic mindset. They've weaponized their Bible, they have a toxic interpretation, and they're judging others with this checklist Christianity, or not Christianity, religion, religion. They didn't see who was right in front of their faces, nor God's heart of compassion and mercy. They're blind guides, and the disciples are innocent. This quotation is even more kind of offensive. Do you remember the book of Hosea, how that works? God's people have strayed. And so God calls this man by the name of Hosea to take a wife by the name of Gomer. And Gomer was loose immoral. She has children out of wedlock. And Hosea is a description of who God is, who calls her back to himself and loves this uh, woman of harlotry and adopts her children. And and when Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice— These Israelite people back in Hosea's day would do all these sacrifices, do all this religious stuff, but deep in their heart, they are far from the Lord. It was about the checklist religion. It was about legalism or just loose living, trying to find find themselves. And Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you religious people, this is who you are. You are sacrificing, but you are not embracing the mercy of God. You've missed out on what uh, what God has for you, they've made a bad call. This was a stinging barb. They've neglected what God requires. What does the Lord require? Do you remember that in Micah 6.8? But to love justice, to do, to, to do mercy and to walk humbly with your God, to love kindness. They've neglected this. And Jesus is done with his lecture to these religious teachers. Um, Look at verse 8. He tells them why this matters. Bottom line, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I kind of think if he had a mic, this is where you drop it. He's like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what are they thinking? What are the Pharisees thinking when they hear this? How in the world are you the Lord, king, master of something that is designed by God and is all about God. What are you saying? Could it be that he is identifying himself as the creator, as God himself? I think this would be super offensive to them and infuriating. Now, a side note, I think the Sabbath, I think having a space in our lives to recharge, to remember God, to worship God, to to express our trust in him, and to to rest physically and spiritually is a good thing. It was a good thing that God gave it to us because he loves us. He gives us these rules because he loves us. And and these boundaries because he cares for us. They're good things. And people can honor the Lord in various ways. I've heard people say, hey, you know, I'm not going to um, do any shopping on Sunday. So Christianity early on saw Sunday as the day that Jesus rose and that this is a day of the Lord's day. This is the day of, of rest. And, and, and so they've moved to Sunday. And, and so I know some people are like, I'm not going to shop, or we won't watch movies, or um, I'm not going to do sports. Or you, you, you create some kind of system. But what is behind that? Is it just a system so that we feel good about ourselves or we look down on other people or that we can check off the list? Jesus is pointing people back to the heart of why God created these parameters. It's so that we love God, so that we trust him. I think about chapter 11. Um, Chapter 11, we just finished last week. Jesus says in verses 28 through 30, come to me all who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you what? Rest. And so he's offering rest. I think there's a physical rest. There's a spiritual rest as well. There's a spiritual rest and we live in a restless world where legalism or on the other side, license. Sunday school, Dave taught at Sawyer and then ran down to converge here and kind of described about staying on the line in our Sunday school hour at, at 10 and and uh, if you just kind of add to the Bible and say, hey, there's a couple more rules we need to follow, that's called legalism. You take away from it, it's called license. We can be moralists, we can have all our to-do lists, um, or we can care less about things. And God wants to invite us into relationship. And so Sabbath, this Sabbath is, a, is a good thing. Um, but in the midst of that, we want to let Jesus be the Lord of it And not rest, be our our Lord. Uh, We don't want to become little gods. It's not going to work out well. We want to let God be God, and He invites us to rest. And people can have different interpretations of how do how do I how do I find rest in in my week or my day. And 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 in the Bible they had this problem too. And and as I've wrestled with this, Colossians chapter two is really helpful. Colossians chapter two verse. 16-17 16 through 17 says this Paul is talking to the church, right in the church, and he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. That people are debating. And you can't eat that because it's sacrificed to idols. You can't eat that because it's, it's a kind of meat, you know, um, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Why? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Sabbath is a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. He offers us a rest that we can get little glimpses of now, but we will enjoy in full when we get to heaven. Uh, Devin, you read a a passage from Hebrews that talks about uh, our rest, the spiritual rest that we have, uh, that we own as followers and believers in Jesus in heaven and a rest that will not perish. It's not going to spoil. It won't fade. It's kept for us. It's sure, secure. It's good. Sabbath is a shadow. Jesus is the substance and offers us rest. He's pointing people back to himself. How do we honor God with our time? How do we orient our lives in such a way that we aren't just following a bunch of rules meaninglessly or we just forget it and kind of don't think about our time? How do we honor God with our days? I think that's a question for us. We think about what does it mean to rest? Physically, spiritually, both are valuable. I don't know if I've written these in my notes here at this point, but there is something that when you say at the end of the day, I've got my, I do, to do I do lists I, am, I I don't get them done. there's something to said about when you don't finish your to do list and you just check out for the day and you cash out you're, you're hit the pillow where we can express our faith in God in the midst of not having everything done because he is in control even though we aren't in, in those moments where we're like I just am so exhausted. I am so beat. I can't go any further. I'm just going to collapse and just take a nap right here on the ground. And maybe you've been there. We can turn that into an opportunity to worship and trust God. And he he is still on the throne. The world will still revolve around the sun and turn, and things will be there tomorrow. He gives us life and breath and health, and so we can rest as an act of trust in him. Let's go back to the passage here. Pass chapter 12, verse 9. He, Jesus, went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might, why? Accuse him. The Pharisees are trying to trap him. The standard rule of thumb back then was you can practice your healing arts, your ma- medical magic on six days a week, but on the seventh day, you can't. Unless it's an emergency. You're going to have a baby, can't stop that. I mean, you, you do the, med- the medical emergencies are okay, but not a withered hand, not, a, not some disability, only emergencies. Now, how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 11. He said to them, Okay, which of you has a sheep if it falls on a pit in a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value is a man than a sheep? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Hey, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Who says? Jesus says, He's pointing out the obvious. The Pharisees have their rule where it's okay to grab an animal who's fallen in a pit, but it's not okay to heal a withered hand. And he's saying, No, it is okay. It's okay. He's pointing out their inconsistencies again, inconsistencies again. And he goes on in verse 13, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. Who can do that? Have you ever seen a miracle? Imagine a guy coming in out of the street. These religious rulers have this kind of like rule that they're imposing and they're kind of testing him out and bam, he heals the hand. It's incredible. He's more than a teacher, more than a prophet. He's the son of man, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is greater. He's greater than David. He's greater than the temple in Jerusalem. He's greater than their rules. He is the healer. How do you think that guy re- reacted? He's been sitting there with this crippled hand for who knows how long. It's obvious to all. And when you have a mark back then of some kind of disability, you are you are lesser. You're marginalized. You are a recipient of mercy because that's how you survive. He doesn't have a good hand and boom, he's got a new one. How does he feel about Jesus? I mean, wow, that's incredible. How did the Pharisees? So we don't know how he responded, but we do know how they responded. Look at verse 14 as we close here. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Some versions say kill him. They went from trying to trap him in verse 10 To try and assassinate him in verse 14. Why? What do you think was going on in them that they are so angry, so furious, so livid that they want to kill him? Jesus can do what they can? Are they jealous? Maybe. Like the last scenario, Jesus is doing what's not lawful. He's breaking the rules. Stop breaking the rules. If you recall, what have they thought about Jesus and his power before this? They thought it was from the demons. And we'll see that again. He's in their synagogue using demonic power, he's greater, greater than David, greater than the temple. Greater than the Sabbath law? Is he calling himself God? They are angry. And it reminds me of the blessing that he says in the previous chapter. Blessed are those who are not offended by him. The Pharisees are offended. So for us, how do we respond? How do we respond to Jesus? Do, is our view of Jesus greater or is he kind of like a subset or side thing that we, we have? We kind of do on the, the side. We have a little Jesus every week in our Jesus time. Or is he greater? Do we have a system of rules which make us feel good about ourselves? So if we could get all these things done, I mean, I, I do have a list. I have this list, list, and I go through them. I check them off. Is my joy and happiness in life based on my ability to get everything done? Do I look down on other people who don't meet my standards and I judge them in my heart with other people? Do I have a checklist religion? Or do, or oh, maybe, maybe I don't even care. I go through the motions, I don't think about it. Jesus is inviting us to some deeper rest, a greater rest, the substance of rest. Do you want. Rest. The real rest. I think for some of us, when I think about application, some of us, we are rule followers. <laughs> we, we like a system. We're systems people. And that's, there's, a, there's a place for that. There's a place for rules. But that system and that rule and that kind of parameter can become our God. And we miss out on the invitation of Jesus to disrupt that and invite us to worship him, to trust in him, and to rest in him and not our ability. Do we, we got it done today. We, we were successful. For some of us, we're broken. You can relate to the person who just, who's got a crippled hand, whether it's physically or just emotionally, we are broken people. And we look at stories like this, and Jesus is pointing to his power that he is the king of kings the lord of lords who is who is with the lord with the father and created everything and sustains everything the bible says by the word of his power he is greater and he says that one day Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day when we're with him in his presence, the picture of heaven in Revelation is that there is no more sickness. There is no more pain. There's no more sorrow or sadness. There's no more sin anymore. All those things are former things. The former has passed away and we have a new era an era of rest, and he invites us into by faith, faith in his work on the cross, not our own. Maybe you're broken, and you need that kind of rest, that that hope, that vision. And for some, maybe you're like those disciples, you're hungry. And maybe you're literally hungry, it's lunchtime, I need, I need some food. And you're reminded that Jesus is the living bread, the living water. Come to him and and find satisfaction for your souls. Where you experience hunger and want, he offers himself. He is good and invites us to rest in him. We are weak, broken, imperfect people who need him. Whether we know it or not, let's know it. Let us find our rest in him, rest in the Lord, rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy to give us Jesus. Thanks for having a brotherhood and a sisterhood, having a family of faith. Thanks for having a testimony in scripture and sending your son to save us from our sin. We we might tend to and lean towards our own performance and self-sufficiency. God, I pray that you would break into our world and shape us like your son, shape us into hearts that that long for you and to rest in you, to cease striving for a moment and just revel in your love and grace and mercy and kindness. Others are hurting, in pain, disappointed, sad, and I, in our brokenness, I pray that you would, you would bring peace and comfort and rest. Some of us are hungry and, and longing for satisfaction. I pray that you would satisfy us and help us find rest for our souls. Thank you, Lord, for this space in our week. I pray that you would use it to fuel the rest of the week as we pursue you and live out our day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.